Book 5, Chapter 3 of The Heavenly Twins. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Vijayta Sharma. The Heavenly Twins by Sarah Grand. Book 5, Chapter 3. It was late when at last she went home. but the drive of many miles in the fresh evening air helped to revive her she had dreaded the return the place seemed empty to her imagination and strange and chill as a south room in which we have sat and been glad with friends all the bright morning does if by chance we return alone when the sun has departed and the place was dismal there was no one to welcome her even her well-trained servants were out of the way for once and she felt her heart sink as she crossed the deserted hall to go upstairs and saw long lines of doors shut for the most part or if open showing big rooms beyond silent and tenantless as she passed the library she had noticed her husband's chair half turned from his writing table just as he had left it probably that very morning It seemed a long time since then. He must have come to his journey's end, ages ago. She wondered if he had felt it as dreary on arriving as she did now, and an accustomed wish to be with him, in order to make things pleasanter for him, here obtruded itself. It was one of the least selfish thoughts she had had lately, and this was also one of the very few occasions on which his leaving her had not occasioned her. a sense of liberty restored which was the one unmixed delight she had hitherto experienced her mind was racked by inconsistencies but she did not perceive it herself otherwise she must also have observed that she was running up the whole gamut of her past moods and experiences only to find how unsatisfactory in its unstableness and futility was each and she might still further have perceived how fatal the habit of living from day to day without any settled purpose a mere cork of a creature on the waters of life at the mercy of every current of impulse is to that permanent content to which a steady effort to do right at all events whatever else we may not do and right only whatever happens alone gives rise making thereof a sure foundation of quiet happiness out of which countless pleasures known only to those who possess it spring perceptibly or to which they come like butterflies to summer flowers enriching them with their beauty and vitality while they stay and leaving them none the poorer when they depart but rather it may be gainers by the fertilizing memories which remain angelica had gone to her room to dress for the evening as usual she had no idea of shirking the ordinary routine of daily life because her mind was perturbed but that duty over she descended to the drawing room to wait until dinner should be announced and so found herself alone with her own thoughts once more she went to one of the fireplaces and stood with her hands folded on the edge of the mantelpiece and her forehead resting on them looking down at the flowers and foliage plants which concealed the grate you cannot go on like this you know she mentally ejaculated apostrophizing herself then she became conscious of a great sense of loneliness the kind of loneliness of the heart from which there is no escape except in the presence of man 
who knows what the trouble is and can sympathize. She had been half inclined to confide in Dr. Galbraith, and now she regretted she had not. But presently, passing into a contrary mood, she was glad. What good could he have done? And as for her husband, an empty house was better than a bad tenant. This was before dinner was announced, but afterward, at dinner, sitting in solitary state with the servants behind her, and a book to keep her in countenance, she made a grievance of his absence, and then sighed for such company as the seven more who were entertained in that house, which was swept and garnished for another purpose, she fancied, but she could not recollect what, and it was too much trouble to try. So her thoughts rambled on uncontrolled. Only she believed they were merry, and that was what she was not. But she would be very soon in spite of everything. In pursuance of which resolve, she wrote several notes after dinner, asking people she knew well enough to kindly dispense with the ceremony of a long invitation and come and lunch with her tomorrow. And she dispatched a groom on horseback with the notes that there might be no delay. She even thought of making up a house party, but here her interest and energy flagged, and she left the execution of that project till next day. Then she relapsed into her regretful, discontented mood. If only, if only that wretched accident had never occurred, how different would her feelings have been at this moment, was one of her reflections as she sat alone on the terrace outside the great deserted reception rooms. She would have been waiting now till the house was quiet, and then she would have dashed up to her room to dress, with that exquisite sense of freedom which made the whole delight of the thing, and in half an hour she might have been the boy with Israfil. You cannot go on like this, you know, Angelica repeated to herself. You must do something. But what? Involuntarily, her mind returned to the tenor. If she could win his respect, she felt she could start afresh with a clear conscience and a steadfast determination to... What was it Dr. Galbraith had suggested? Live openly. Live for others. But how to win the tenor back to tolerate her? If she would make him her friend, she knew that she must be entirely true in thought, word, and deed, to every duty, to every principle of right. And how could she be that if there were any truth in the theory of hereditary predeposition, coming as she did of a race foredoomed apparently to the opposite course? It was folly to contend with fate when fate took the form of a long line of ancestors who had made a family commandment for themselves, which was, Be decent to all seeming, but sin all the same to your heart's content. And had kept it courageously, at least the men had. But then the women had been worthy, in which thought, she suddenly perceived that there was food for reflection. But was not this contradictious fact a proof that it was a good deal a matter of choice after all? And here the tenor's parting words recurred to her. And with them came the recollection of the impression made at the moment by the deep yet diffident tone of earnest conviction in which he had uttered that last assurance. You will do some good in the world. You will be a good woman yet. I know. I know you will. Should she? Was the question she now asked herself. Were the words prophetic, she wondered. And from that moment her thoughts took a new departure and she was able, as it were, to stand aloof and look back at herself as she had been, and forward to herself as she might yet become. In this quiet hour of retrospect, she was quite ready to confess her sins. She was sincerely sorry she had deceived the tenor, 
But why was she sorry? Why? Simply because he had found her out? Simply because there was an end of a charming adventure? No less on that account than on others. For of course, she knew that the end was near, that they must have parted soon in any case. It was the matter of the parting that caused her such regret. She had lost his affection, lost his confidence, lost the pleasure of his acquaintance, she supposed, which was more than she could bear. If he met her in the street, he would probably look the other way. Would he? Oh, the very notion stung her. She sprang to her feet and threw up her hands, and then, as if goaded by a lash, but without any distinct idea, she ran down the steps, headlong into the garden, and so on, through the park, till she came to the river. When she got there, she stopped at the landing place, not knowing why she had come, and as she stood there, trying to collect her thoughts, the absence of some familiar object forced itself upon her attention. Her boat! It must have been lost the night of the accident. She did not know whether it had sunk or not, but there was no name on it, so that, even if it had been found, it could not have been restored to her unless she had claimed it. And while she thought this, she was conscious of another pang of regret. She knew that had the boat been there, her next impulse would have been to go to the tenor, just as she was, bareheaded and in her thin evening dress. With what object, though? To beg for the honour of his acquaintance, she supposed. But alas, she could not sneer in earnest, or laugh in earnest, at any absurdity she chose to think there was in the idea, for she acknowledged, in her heart of hearts, she knew, that the acquaintance of such a man was an honour, especially to her, as she humbly insisted, although she had not broken any of the commandments, and never would, and never could. Slowly, she returned to the house. A servant met her on the terrace, and asked her if she should require anything more that night. Then she discovered the lateness of the hour, ordered the household to bed, and retired to her own room. There, she extinguished the lights, threw the windows wider open, and sat looking out into the dim, mysterious night. Angelica loved the night. No matter what her mood might be, she felt its charm, and something also of the pride-subduing, hallowed influence, which is peculiarly its own. And now, as she leaned, looking out, all the beauty of it, and its heavenly purity began to steal into her heart and to soften it. Slowly, as the tide goes out when the sea is tempestuous, the waves returning again and again with angry burst and flow to cover the same spot as if loath to leave it, but receding inevitably till in the further distance their harsh, impetuous roar sinks to a babble when heard from the place where they lately raged which itself seems the safer for the contrast between the now of quiet and firmness and the then of shifting sand and watery fury. So it was with Angelica's turmoil of mind, the foaming discontent, the battling projects, by slow degrees, they all subsided. And after the storm of uncertainty, there came something like the calm of a settled purpose, to be good, to ascend to the higher life, if that meant to feel like this always, she would be good, if in her lay such power. She could not be wholly without religion, because she found in herself a reverence for what was religion in others. 
and what after all is religion an attitude of the mind which develops in us the power to love reverence and practice all that constitutes moral property but how to attain to this by trying and trusting faith that was it faith in the power of goodness upon the recognition of the simple truth her spirit wings unfurled and slowly as her senses ceased to be importunate she became possessed by some idea of deathless love and longing which fired her soul with its heroism and filled her heart with its pathos until both mind and hands together unconsciously assumed the attitude of prayer she did not go to bed at all that night but just sat there by the open window patiently waiting for the dawn nor did she feel the time long her whole being thrilled to this new sensation and was subdued by it so that she remained motionless and rapturously absorbed it might only last till daybreak but while it did last it was certainly intense it lasted longer than that however it even survived the day and the luncheon party to which she had in a rash moment invited her friends she had determined to go to the tenor that very afternoon in the way her husband had suggested at first she thought she would drive but it was a long way round by the road much longer than by the river and so she decided to walk although the weather was inclined to be tempestuous she crossed by the ferry thinking she would if possible meet the tenor as he came away from the afternoon service in that hope however she was disappointed for when she got to the cathedral she found the service over the congregation dispersed and the doors locked there was nothing for it then but to go to his own house with a fast beating heart she crossed the road and paused at the little gate she felt now that she had made a mistake she should have taken her husband's advice and come in state she would not have felt half so frightened and awkward if she could have sat in her carriage and sent the footman to inquire if the tenor would do her the favor to allow her to speak to him for a moment and what would he say to her now and what should she say suppose he refused to see her at all should she ever survive it could she take him by storm as the boy would have done and demand his friendship and kind consideration as a right oh some of the unblushing assurance which had distinguished the boy it must have been part of the costume but surely her confidence would return at the right moment and then she would be able to face him boldly having to knock at the door and ask for him was like the first plunge into cold water just to think of it took her breath away but the window was doubtless unfastened as usual should she go in by that no it was absurd though how she hesitated especially after all that had happened but be deterred by this most novel and uncomfortable shyness she would not she had come so far and it should not be for nothing she would not go back until but now at last with a smile at her qualms and nervous tremors she knocked resolutely there was a little interval before the knock was answered and she filled it with hope she knew just how radiant she would feel 
as she came away successful she experienced something of the relief and pleasure which should follow upon this pain and then the door was opened by the tenor's elderly housekeeper the woman had that worn and worried look upon her face which is common among women of a class is your master at home angelica asked not recollecting for the moment by what name he was known the woman looked at her curiously as if to determine her social status before she committed herself the question seemed to surprise her he's gone she answered dolefully didn't you know gone angelica echoed blankly where gone home the woman answered gone home angelica exclaimed unable to conceal her dismay he has no home but this where is his home the woman gave her another curious look took a moment to choose her words then blurted out he's dead miss didn't you know and buried yesterday end of book 5 chapter 3 recording by vijayta sharma